Hey everyone, thank you for joining. We just recapped all the League Division series and previewed the LCSs between the Rangers and Astros and the Phillies and Diamondbacks. We also talked about Arcia Gate and our thoughts on it and maybe the impact that it made on the Phillies, Braves, and LDS, and talked about the current state of the postseason format and maybe if it should change, if it should stay the same, if there's any reason to react to it. Let's get into it. Baseball isn't just numbers, numbers, numbers. This game is not being played on computers. You don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. You don't put a team together with a computer. We're talking weighted runs created plus. Expected Woba. His sweet spot rate. Defensive runs above average. The average exit velocity. Barrel rate. XFIP. BABIP. SIERA. We are above replacement radio. And welcome to Bubba Placement Radio, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I'm your host, Chris Gianta. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well again today. Uh, we had some very fun baseball over the last few days. We have uh, the LCSs all set to go after just a maximum of four games. Uh, we had two sweeps, two go to four games, no game fives, unfortunately. But um, we got some interesting matchups coming up. In the LCSs. Yeah, this is, yeah. I mean, these are obviously two matches that two matchups that I would not have predicted heading into the heading into this postseason. You know, did not think the Diamondbacks would make it this far, did not think the Rangers would make it this far. Um, at least, you know, before they faced off against the Raids, I did not think they were getting out of that series. Um, so them them coming along this far is uh, you know, not only surprising but also pretty pleasant to see because you know i do tend to root for the teams with the longest droughts and they have the longest drought out of anyone that entered this uh this postseason this year so you know good to see them making their way they you know swept the rays swept baltimore you know swept the best teams in the al east and uh and yeah um it'll be it'll be very interesting to see that all texas american league championship series yeah, um, I guess the Rangers do have the biggest drought, right? Because they they were the Washington Senators just before the Brewers were the Seattle Pilots by like what less than ten years. Um, yeah, uh, didn't the Pilots come around? 1969. 1969. Yep. Um, yeah. So that is that is the case. I mean, I guess yeah, I guess technically like this the them as Texas maybe didn't have the longest drought. No, but I mean they were the Washington Senators. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that organization. Actually, I think they. I think they did. They go to Texas in seventy. Um, they might. I know it was in the early. Maybe 70s. it was seventy-one. Yeah, it was in the early seventies, and and uh, and yeah, it it was a so them as Texas was around the same time as them as the Brewers in Milwaukee. Right, because the Brewers in Milwaukee was 1970. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they did have the Milwaukee Braves, which won a World Series there, I believe. That is true. That is true. So it's not like the yeah. city. Okay, yeah, they became the Texas Rangers in 72, I think. Okay. Yeah. So, so the overall franchise has existed the longest, but the actual current location... Uh, if we're going by that, Milwaukee would have a longer drought technically, but you know who cares? Who cares? Two percent of baseball fans. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they don't have that on the on the TV graphics. Um, no. But uh, but yeah, I mean, what you know, what were what have your been your takeaways so far before we dive too deep, um, of these past you know few days of baseball? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we could just start with the Orioles-Rangers series because that's the first one we have in our notes, and also I believe it was the first one to have started, right? Um, we already talked about game one and two. Game three was, uh, I don't know, it was kind of, I guess, what you could have expected uh, given the way that the first two games went and also the pitching matchup being much more in the Rangers' favor. Um, Dean Creamer, you know, he's a guy that uh, – does kind of surrender the long ball. He's a fly ball pitcher. Uh, from what I, I'm pretty sure he's a fly ball pitcher, right? And he gave up a home run in the first inning to Corey Seager, a home run in the second inning to Adolis Garcia. Correct. Third inning. Second inning, yeah. Yeah, it was second inning. Um. Yeah, let me. Yeah, Dean Creamer, a guy with a uh. A 26.8% fly ball rate. The league average is 23%. So, um, and then a line drive rate of 28% with the league average being a 25%. So, I mean, you know, you look at the Rangers offense, you look at the way that they had been hitting in that series. You look at uh, Dean Creamer's, you know, batted ball tendencies, and it it looked very questionable, especially going up against Nate Evaldi. And that's kind of exactly what we saw. Um, Nate Lowe also hit one. Uh, I think that was off of a relief pitcher, though, but he he crushed the ball. Uh, he got in on a fastball and took it out to right field. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and as far as, you know, game three went for Rangers Orioles, um, it part of part, this could could have been expected to a degree. You know, the, it, we all knew it was it was a big starting pitching mismatch with how Ivaldi went in the previous playoff game and how Creamer had gone, you know, the whole the whole season. He had a 412 ERA this year in a 496 expected ERA in uh in 2023 and you know obviously the Orioles third option as opposed to the Rangers second option um and yeah Dean Creamer unfortunately uh didn't have a great day he had 12 batted balls against him four line drives for a 33% rate and two barrels which is uh you know two barrels and 12 batted balls that's a very high rate and also in the 13 batters faced uh that he had Dean Creamer did not strike out anybody uh, and he had a 17% whiff rate against, and he faced 22 two strike counts and had no whiffs against him on two strike counts, no called strikes, nine foul balls, seven balls out of the strike zone and three hits uh, on those two strike counts. So unable to finish hitters off, unfortunately, that's also credit to the, to the Rangers for staying tough with two strikes. But um but yeah, I mean, it was, it, it felt over after the Adolis Garcia uh, three-run home run. I mean, I think it effectively was over after that. It even felt over after the Corey Seager home run uh, because, I mean, like, anytime you see the Rangers offense just getting going early, like, you get the feeling that, you know, it's only getting started, right? Like, you don't see them, you know, you haven't seen them in these playoff games score a couple runs early and then kind of mellow out from there. Like, it's it only picks up once they start. Yeah, and it feels like in in the playoffs, like if you want to win on the road, you got to score first. It it just feels like that. I don't have much statistical analysis on that except for um, I was looking at stuff with the Phillies last night. But um, but yeah, like falling behind on the road, especially when you're behind in the series generally, um, you know, it's it's not a recipe for success. And and yeah, it just seemed to have a, a tumble down effect with the first and second innings. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, big credit to the Rangers. I mean, they were, they were, you know, through and through the better team for all three games. 
yeah, no, I mean they they fundamentally looked like it, no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean <laughs> the only close game was game one, and even then, you know, uh, it it felt over after the the Gunnar Henderson caught stealing. Like that was that felt like the most hope the Orioles had of winning a game was when Gunnar Henderson reached first. Uh, at that you know at that one point. I don't right. think the Orioles ever held a lead at any point. Or no, they did. They did they hold them in game two? For for one inning. For uh half an inning, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they went up two nothing in game two, and then immediately the Rangers scored five runs. That was um, the one I couldn't watch. Yeah, right, right, right. And um, you know, on the other side of the, you know, the the other guy taking the hill was Nathan Evaldi, who as we mentioned. Uh, you know, has a has a great postseason resume and continued it on what was it Tuesday night? Uh, he went seven innings strong, one run allowed, no uh, no walks, seven strikeouts. Also, what was crazy to me, a forty eight percent chase rate and fifty seven percent in zone rate. So he threw it in the zone, but when he didn't throw it in the zone, he got a lot of swings against him. And uh, this is a uh, this is a stat from Sarah Langs. Uh, saying that he had a 77.6% strike rate, which was the highest strike rate in a postseason start since 2000, minimum 90 pitches. Uh, so he was, you know, filling up the strike zone, and when he wasn't filling it up, he was getting guys to chase. Um, also, Eovaldi had tied for the most pitches thrown in the zone in a playoff game this year, and the second most swings on pitches outside the zone uh, in a playoff game this year, uh, which is an an, an incredible combination. It's Great combo, to, yeah. It's an it's an it's a hard yeah it's a hard combo to get. Uh, you know, considering like if you're filling up the zone, you're gonna throw less pitches out out of the zone. But he still found a way to get a lot of swings out of the zone. So I mean, that just a masterclass of uh, a big game, Nate, right there. Yeah, and I mean the Rangers looked. I mean, yeah, obviously the Orioles were the better team on paper, right? They won 101 games. The Rangers won, what, 80, 88, I think, 87, 88 games. Um, I think they won. They might have won 90 and lost the tiebreaker to Houston. Maybe. Uh, around that ballpark, right? But Yeah, not crazy. I mean, but, I mean, it was – that was a complete dismantling. And, you know – the Orioles are a team that like a lot of people look at and say they'll be back. Uh, and I mean, yeah, I, I said this on last show, but I mean, if they're not back, something went horribly wrong. Um, but you know, like this is a team that can now say that they have playoff experience, even if it's not a lot, even if it's the bare minimum, uh, you know, they can take that into next year uh, to hopefully get some starting pitching. You know, there's going to be a decent amount out there. Um Maybe not like super high profile guys, but outside of like Yamamoto, Shohei Otani, um, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola, but you know, hopefully they have better starting pitching. Hopefully Grayson Rodriguez takes a step forward. Maybe Kyle Bradish takes another step forward, uh, and they have a more complete playoff rotation next year. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of the first thought you think of coming out of this series is like, how are they going to be able to get a deeper starting pitching staff? Because that's part of what held them back i mean bradish did well but rodriguez and um and creamer were unable to perform to the level they needed to so so yeah you wonder what what their offseason looks like the orioles are not you know historically not a very 
aggressive organization. Um, but this is clearly a window for them. But also, you know, a lot of it depends on ownership, as we know. And, you know, John Angelos has been, you know, historically, or at least at least as of late, you know, talking in in very cheap terms, not not have not being very publicly aggressive on uh on his team already pretty sure he had a quote this year like already talking about how he's not gonna be able to afford like to extend adley and gunner and everyone yeah 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 it's just like they are they're in their first year of service time like when you do not need to say that now exactly exactly yeah it was pretty lame something i would not want to hear as an orioles fan but um but yeah and uh i mean this is one for the nerds but um a, a win for Pythagorean win loss because the uh, the Rangers had a better run differential than the <laughs> Orioles coming into this one, but uh, yeah. that, that's you know as beside the point. The Rangers just dominated them through and through and had a had a very good roster to come to come into this one. Um, anything more before we head into Astros Twins? Uh, no, I mean I don't know. Just the Rangers looked really impressive and. Uh... Yeah, I mean, they've beaten a 99-win team and a 100-win team. They've beat 200 wins worth of teams already uh, in just the first two rounds, which is very impressive. Yeah, and and somehow it feels like they they haven't faced their toughest test yet, which is the 90-win team yep. in, uh, in Houston. Because, um... Yeah, they're going to pull... Yeah, they're in a position to pull a 2022 Padres, like beat a 100-win team in the wild card round, beat a 110-win team in the NLDS, and then lose to the 88-win Phillies or whatever it was. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the Astros... That's, I mean, they're they're in prime position to do that, but they're also in prime position to, uh, you know, look at the Astros and say, hey, if we beat these two teams, we can beat this team as well. Yeah, and they could be the the Phillies, who also last year beat two one hundred win teams, and then uh and then beat the Padres. No, the Cardinals were not a hundred win team, were they? Oh wait, oh I was thinking of um yeah no I was thinking of the Mets and yeah the Padres beat the Mets. My bad. Um yeah, yeah Cardinals were a ninety three win team, but yeah. regardless um yeah the Astros Astros have now won uh. 14 of their last 17 playoff games which is pretty absurd and uh and yeah um the last two of those wins came against the twins on tuesday and wednesday um one in you know an absolute slaughter of a game and then the other in a in a pretty tight matchup which that was kind of a weird game not you know only one combined blade appearance with uh runners in scoring position but um I mean, what were your thoughts on, on the past couple games for this one? I mean, yeah, the Astros obviously looked like a better team. I mean, I think, you know, coming out of the Pablo Lopez start in game two, a lot of people felt good about the idea that the Twins could just take one in Minnesota and at least send it back to Houston and put the ball back in Pablo Lopez's hand. Um, but, yeah, they, they were overmatched in these two games. Sonny Gray gave up two home runs in a game for the first time since September of 2021. Um which is which is pretty rough. Jose Abreu like finally came alive. We've been waiting for that all year. Um and it finally seems like, you know, that contract is starting to look pretty good for the Astros because even if he didn't produce a lot in the regular season, right? I mean, he's winning them games in the postseason. He hit a three-run home run in the first inning of game 3, which pretty I mean, that made it four nothing. I mean, that took the Twins crowd out of it early. Um and he hit another one in game uh he hit the eventual game-winning home run in uh 
game four and he hit another one in game three like later in the game i believe right um yeah i think so i think so uh, i'm pretty sure uh he and royce lewis are tied for the most uh playoff home runs in target field history yeah that is uh that is very funny that is very funny um because yeah yeah i'm i mean i think he yeah he must have hit three home runs in this series and that's why he did we did that um so yeah uh the the yeah the astros win nine to one in game three and uh and yeah for me it was like a complete flip-flop of what i thought what i thought the starting pitchers were going to do i thought if there was a guy who was going to have a blow-up start i thought it was going to be christian javier given what he's been doing the last few months and if and I thought if there's a guy that was going to go five shutout innings, I thought it was going to be definitely Sonny Gray, who, you know, is, is probably going to be a Cy Young finalist this year. But uh, it was the reverse results. Uh, Sonny Gray allows five runs on two home runs. And Christian Javier goes five shutout innings. Uh, and he really locked it down with runners in scoring position. He didn't necessarily prevent a lot of base runners, but he prevented them from coming in. Uh, he had eight batter space with runners in scoring position, had one walk, no hits, no runs allowed, and five strikeouts on those eight batters space with a 71% whiff rate. Uh, he, he really executed his pitches down the stretch, um, which was pretty amazing to see. It's what you need to do in the postseason. And uh, a fun stat I had was that uh, Christian Javier had 13 whiffs on 16 swings against his slider which was the highest whiff rate on sliders in a single playoff game in the pitch tracking era, minimum 10 swings on sliders. Um, so that was very fun. I mean, what were your thoughts on how the starting pitching went uh, from, from both sides here? Yeah. I mean, Christian Javier is clearly just a different guy in the postseason. I mean, Jeff Passan had this tweet that was obviously a, a bit of a joke, but uh, you know, he, the last time he pitched in the postseason was the World Series no-hitter. He pitched, what, five, six no-hit innings. Um, I think it was six no-hit innings, and then he made way for the bullpen. Uh, and he regressed in the start and only and gave up one hit. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he looked he looked great. You had some good stats on this slider there. He was getting a lot of swing and miss. Um, and Jose Arquiti also looked very good in Game 4. The Twins struck out a grand total of 28 times in the two games. Um which is insane. 14 times in each game they struck out, um, which is nuts. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and it also, it also kind of just felt like the twins were always behind in counts, no matter what. That's how it felt. Even if it was like, you know, if it was one Oh, if it was two, one, three, like, you know, two Oh, maybe even three Oh, like every time that three, one, Every time that happened, it just felt like the Astros always found their way back into the count no matter what. And I wasn't able to find these stats, unfortunately, because uh, like the Savant search doesn't have like numbers through a certain count. And then the uh, Fangraphs splits leaderboard doesn't have postseason numbers. But I really wanted to see like what the Twins numbers were on any at bats where they were at one point ahead in the count. Right. Yeah, it, it would be. It would be very interesting because, yeah, I mean, there were there were times where it was like a three ball count with the bases loaded and you still didn't feel like there was much pressure on the Astros pitching. It felt like they were mm -hmm. going to they were going to execute, whether it be their starting pitcher or or their guy out of the bullpen. Um, 
and yeah, you, you mentioned the strikeouts in in games three and four. Um, it was kind of historic what Astros pitchers and unfortunately Twins hitters were doing in games three and four. Um, they combined for a forty-seven percent whiff rate in the final two games of the of the year of the or of the series rather. And games three and four had the eighth and fourth highest respective team whiff rates in a playoff game in the pitch tracking era. There are 1,140 individual team games in this era, and both of these were top 10 in whiff rates regarding the Astros pitching and Twins hitting. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the Astros Astros pitching just seemed to have the Twins in a pretzel um, in, in games three and four here. Yeah, it was, I mean, they, would, they, they just didn't have an answer, and I know that, like, they did have a couple moments, right? I mean, Edward Julian and Royce Lewis both homered in – game four you know game four was only a one-run game uh but it just felt like they were out of it for a lot of it until you know except for like a few brief moments where you know like julian homer like i mentioned royce lewis homered um but yeah i mean they just looked overmatched at every point yeah and and with all the strikeouts it makes it you know a lot harder to get on to get on base so it made it made it so that those homers were were solo homers and didn't do a crazy amount of damage um yeah like you know they they you know to credit to them they they tied the astros in in homers on for game four but you know unfortunately one of the astros homers was a two-run homer so it, it gave them uh gave them the edge um and yeah as game four was kind of weird i mentioned because all all of the runs were scored via home run and there was one combined plate appearance with runners in scoring position so you didn't have those super high intense moments that maybe you had in game three or game one, um, which is kind of funny, but, but yeah, that's, um, yeah. I mean, that was kind of the Astros twin series. Uh, you know, I was surprised to see what I saw in game three, but ultimately seeing the Astros in four, I mean, before this, before the series started, yeah. we both said Astros in four. Um, so it's not that much of a surprise to see them uh, to take this one and, and yeah, I mean, they just seem to be a machine with all these teams dropping in the first round after successful regular seasons. The Astros just seem to go on for for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's so funny because we like you hear these conversations about like changing the playoff format and like it's not fair for the the teams with off like, with the off weeks between like the Braves, the Dodgers, <laughs> the Astros just don't it doesn't apply like not only does it not apply they've lost one game in the in, in like you mentioned you know they swept the mariners last year they lost one game against the twins and now it's just you know pablo lopez coming out and being a dog right i mean seven shutout innings and in that start like that you can't i don't even think that's the kind of thing that you can blame on uh you know on, on the off week and whatever which i hate that narrative so much to begin with i think if there's a valid reason to criticize this postseason format it's that like the wild card series just hasn't given us a lot of excitement that's like probably the only legitimate reason to to criticize this round but you know i mean teams got to play better yeah yeah and we might get into it more with like you know the braves phillies and 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 uh and dodgers diamondback series because yeah i mean those were the big examples of of teams you know i mean we expected so much out of these teams in the playoffs and they gave us you know pretty much duds uh if the you know if the braves don't come back uh in game two i mean that is a flat dud of a of a series for them but um but yeah uh as 
now to move on to Diamondbacks Dodgers, where the Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we talked about games one and two. Uh, any any particular thoughts on game three? You know, I think there's a lot of criticism going into Dave Roberts' decision to start Lance Lynn instead of Ryan Pepio. Uh, Pepio actually looked like a lot better during the regular season. Lance Lynn uh, gave up 2.2 home runs per nine. Uh, which, you know, I mean, if you if you follow any sort of trends, you'd understand that home runs are fundamentally what wins uh, in the playoffs nowadays. Right. I think teams that outscore their opponents, this playoffs are like 14 and one, uh, which is like not far off from like the usual trends of different years. Um, Ryan Pepio only pitched 42 innings this year, but he had a 214 ERA. Uh, he had a 7.6 strikeout to walk ratio and 1.5 home runs per nine still isn't good, but I mean, Lance Lynn had 2.2, like, you know, that's, that's not going to cut it either way. And obviously, I mean, like, I'm not saying that Dave Roberts deserves the majority of the blame for, for this loss. I mean, when you get, when you get swept and just completely dismantled the way the Dodgers did, like it would take a legendarily bad managerial performance to have the manager take the most blame. Um, And Dave Roberts wasn't that bad. I mean, there's not, there wasn't really room for him to make many mistakes in this one, really, if you think about it. Yeah. That was a big question mark. And as we saw in game four, home runs were ultimately what killed the Dodgers in the end. Yeah. And even if you had a really good start from your, from your pitcher on, on, uh, what was it Wednesday you know that's still you still gotta you still gotta outscore the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers only scored two runs and that was even with them having a deficit and you know you would expect them to you know be at a have a little bit more urgency to to get more to get more runs uh scratched across the plate but you know the team that scored the second most runs in baseball scored two runs in each game of this series so that that's a lot of the reason why they uh, why they struggled. Obviously, the Dodgers starting pitching was you know a pretty atrocious throughout the series, but it's not the only thing holding them back. Clearly, but to get into how awful the starting pitching was of the of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, they combined to go four and two thirds, have thirteen earned runs allowed, a twenty five oh seven ERA, five home runs allowed. 1214 slugging against 1066 expected slugging against any 29% barrel rate against. So yeah. yeah, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty rough, but still the Dodgers also scored two runs per game uh, in this series. But yeah, I mean, we, we saw this as a flaw for the Dodgers um, heading into this postseason with, with their starting pitching and, uh, and yeah, they, they did not come through. The fact that Bobby Miller in his one and two thirds innings with three earned runs might have been the best performance out of any of the any of the pitchers is like pretty scary. Yeah, it it's it's because even though like Lance Lynn pitched more innings and gave up only one more earned run, like you gave up four home runs in an inning, and it it even felt like five with the Moreno stuff, like. <laughs> Like, can we, can we just like, not like, don't put in the scorebook, obviously, but can we just count Moreno as having hit two home runs in that inning? Yeah. I, like, uh, yes, uh, of course that ball was foul. Like it was not, it was not a home run, but like, I mean, it had the same vibe, even if it was foul. 
Um, yeah, it was. I think I think now that the game's over and that the runs haven't scored, or or the or that the that extra run wouldn't have mattered. Yeah, why not make it like five to two Diamondbacks in the end? <laughs> Gabriel Moreno two home runs. Um, yeah, he the first player to ever hit back to back home runs and back to back plate appearances. On back-to-back pitches. On back-to-back pitches, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> How do you score that? I don't know, but yeah, you just <laughs> you just fill in. You just darken the when you when you fill in on the scorebook, <laughs> you just darken it a little bit more. You just ignore the fact, like Dave Roberts. Just it looks like you know if if it's like ninety years from now and people are looking at game logs, it just looks like Dave Roberts could have like called him out for batting out of order. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how did Moreno just hit two home runs in a row? It doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it was it was not the best. Um, yeah, Ryan Pepio, I'm looking at his numbers right now. Yeah, it, he would have been a he would have been a fun guy to put in. Had a had a strikeout minus walk rate over 20 percent, which is really, really good. You know, league average is around 14, 15 percent. Um, also low, low average exit velocity against. Um seems like it yeah low sweet spot percentage again so just looking at uh and, and a 214 era not to mention uh which was really really good so you know i i do understand why fans would would want him in over lynn but ultimately the dodgers isn't offense did not perform to the level they should have um overall in the series the dodgers had a 26 percent sweet spot rate which was the lowest among lds teams um in this uh in this postseason or during the LDS series and you know Mookie Betts he went 0 for 11 with one batted ball between 0 and 32 degrees um, that would be crazier than the fact that he went 0 for 11 yeah it, it was pretty rough that means you know either a negative launch angle or a fly ball that was you know outside outside the sweet spot zone and you know likely you know falling into someone's glove which it didn't ended up doing so yeah they you know, just as an offense, they did not perform, especially, you know, at the top. No, I mean, Betts and Freeman combined to go one for 21. Uh, the only guys that really showed up on the offense, even like slightly, were what, like Will Smith, who went three for four in game three, and then J.D. Martinez, who hit the only home run of the series for the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah, let me... Yeah, let I me think it, yeah. it ultimately... You know, I think it ultimately just came down to home runs. Like, who hit, like, the discrepancy. I mean, it also just came down to who hit, period. Um, J.D. Martinez hit 200 with an 833 OPS. It's inflated because he homered. Will Smith hit 417 with a 1084 OPS. That's very good. Uh, he's there. Those are the only two that had a, or at least that were in the starting lineup or at least played in game, uh, in game three that had an OPS above 750. Yeah, right, right, Ruby right. Bats had an OPS under 100. Freddie Freeman's was 350. Max Muncy's was 432. Um, David Peralta's was 500. Like you can't, you can't have that. Yeah, and and they did have some slight bad luck on batted balls, but still, their expected woba, um, you know, it's the main expected number. They were, I think, second worst in the LDS. Yeah, they they had the second worst second worst expected woba out of all the teams um only the Braves did worse funnily enough who scored more runs than them in the regular <laughs> season 
the only team to do, to do that. But uh, so yeah, ultimately, ultimately, just feels like a failure on all fronts for for Los Angeles. But enough Dodgers bashing because there was a team who won this series, and that was the Arizona Diamondbacks, who very well earned it. I mean, they came out to play, and they, I mean, dismantled the dismantled the Dodgers, outscored them by thirteen runs, out homered them by eight home runs, uh, which I think was much of the difference maker. So they prevented home runs at a great rate, and they got home runs at a great rate on the on offense. Um, I mean, what are your takeaways from the Diamondbacks' performance in general? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, getting into batted ball metrics specifically, um, 26.3% of all batted balls they had in this series were hard hit and in the sweet spot, uh, which, you know, those are two. I mean, the league average on those is very, very high, and they obviously did that as much as they could. They had 21 such batted balls, um, so that's good. Their bullpen has been uh, pretty excellent, actually, um, which, you know, that was kind of a – uh, weakness for them in the regular season, but their bullpen has done a lot better. Paul Sewell's been pretty automatic out of the pen. Uh, Kevin Genkel has been taking the eighth innings, and he's been exceptional. Um, Andrew Saulfrank has gotten out of a lot of jams, as we've talked about on this show. Um, but like they, their bullpen has looked pretty stellar, both against the Brewers and against the Dodgers. Yeah, they've they've really come through in in the situations that they've really needed to. Uh, which, you know, I, I was not expecting. I That's part of the reason why I had, you know, both Milwaukee over them and the Dodgers over them because, you know, I just didn't trust – I didn't trust that bullpen. But, you know, they they just keep coming through and in the in the big situations. They get guys out of jams, you know, their, their fellow bullpen guys that, out of jams that happen multiple times in this series as well as, you know, the Milwaukee series. And, yeah, I mean – it seems like you just got to get your bullpen hot at the right time. And it seems like the diamondbacks are, are doing that. Yeah, no, they absolutely are. A lot of that, a lot of the postseason is kind of just whose team will have a bullpen that gets hot at the right time. Even if it's not a good bullpen in the regular season, like you could look at the Braves in 21, they had four relievers between uh, what Minter, Matzik, uh, Luke Jackson, and uh, there was another one that I'm not remembering off the top of my head that all just became really good in the postseason, uh, even though, oh, Will Smith, that's who it was. Uh, Will Smith was like really bad in the second half, and then he got really good in the postseason. So, I mean, it's all about who gets hot at the right time from the bullpen end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, like even even like the 2018 Red Sox, like their September bullpen ERA was probably among like the seven. worst. Yeah. Um, and uh, And then – you know, partially due to Alex Cora putting some of his starters in the bullpen, you know, that helped out a lot. But you had guys like Matt Barnes, who was struggling, who came through big. Joe Kelly had a horrible September and he had a fantastic October. So, yeah, it seems like you just got to have your have the right guys lock in. And the Diamondbacks are are doing just that um, as as an 84 win team. They're they're plowing through the plowing through the playoffs so far. Um, yeah. So, um regarding yeah the the diamondbacks i you know a credit to them for just putting the ball in the air hard um nine home runs was was the difference maker for them they also had 13 barrels they had the second highest barrel rate among these lds teams during the lds um but also they had the highest they had the highest barrel rate of all pitches 
Um, so the Phillies had a better barrel rate among all batted balls, but the Diamondbacks had a higher barrel rate among pitches because they struck out less than the Phillies, I believe. So, you know, they, they made contact and they, and when they made contact, it was very, very good contact. They had the second best expected Woba of these LDS teams as well. So yeah, it, it seemed like all things were really firing for them, took some momentum from the Milwaukee series and just kept ramping, ramping it up. I, I'm I'm going to look at barrels per plate appearance because uh, I feel like that's a better metric for a team that struck out less. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how to get that on, on the stat cast or, or yeah. On the the uh, Diamondbacks barrels per plate appearance was 10.9. The Phillies was 10.4 Diamondbacks are the highest in the league. Yeah. Among all the LES teams, the Braves only had 2.8. That's crazy. Um, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, which is unbelievable for such a powerful, powerful team. The Braves um, had four barrels in the entire series, one per game. Right. No, that's tough. They can't be doing that. One of them was uh, the Ronald Acuna Jr. versus Craig Kimbrell bases loaded hit with uh, last from last night in the seventh. That's right. Unfortunate. Yeah, and uh, just to break down individually, uh. Corbin Carroll had a had a fun slash line 300 yes. 500 600 for an 1100 OPS uh along with uh, a couple stolen bases as well obviously that's what Corbin Carroll is going to do Lord Escuriel Jr had a had a 923 OPS Cattell Marte was at 1000 Gabriel Moreno was at 1091 uh Tommy Pham at 1071 Alec Thomas at 930 and Christian Walker at 1095 and uh, as a team, they had a 947 OPS and slugged 588, which is very, very just unbelievable, especially for a team. They had a below average offense, according to OPS plus uh, heading into this heading into this postseason. But, yeah, they just seem to be uh, clicking it on it at the exact right time as well. So we have a bit of predicament. I'll get I'll get into this later, but we have a bit of a predicament for the Braves Phillies Uh series to recap anyway i'll get into that later but uh yeah i mean corbin carroll has looked amazing these playoffs like when you know in a in a in a lds where betts and freeman both struggled where acuna and olsen both struggled you know as like the top four for nl mvp corbin carroll looked amazing this entire series and he has the entire playoffs his ops is above 1400 for the playoffs entirely as you just mentioned uh, he's been he's been kind of going crazy for the Diamondbacks in October. Yeah, yeah, it's um, like, and you love to see that. I mean, the the fact that he's, I think, still twenty two out there and and just and just taking it over and and leading yep. this team. Um, and yeah, it was it was funny actually. Uh, I think before the postseason even started, uh, David Cohn had a quote, and he was comparing Corbin Carroll to Derek Jeter in Derek Jeter's rookie year, which was 1996. That was the year uh, where the Yankees started their, their, uh, you know, late nineties, early 2000s dynasty and won that world series. And I finally pointed out that Corbin Carroll had a better rookie season than Derek Jeter. That's, you know, but the point of what David Cohn said was, you know, the team looks to Corbin Carroll, despite the fact that he's 22 years old, despite the fact that he's a rookie and, and didn't play, more than 30 MLB games before the season started, they still look to him and view him as some sort of leader, which is, you know, 
that's pretty unbelievable to to have no matter no matter the talent no matter how good you perform on the field sometimes it's hard to for for guys to get that you know get that notoriety of um, among their own club, uh, among their own clubhouse, but Corbin Carroll seems to be seems to have that effect, according to some people, you know, inside and who who have some more inside information. And you know, he is leading by example right now by performing, you know, being one of the best performers in this playoffs, just straight up, no matter no matter team, no matter series, no matter uh, you know position, he's one of the best uh, players in this playoffs right now. The Diamondbacks signed him to an extension uh, before the season started. And like you mentioned, only 30 MLB games under his belt before this season. And that was enough for the for the Diamondbacks to say, we've seen enough, 32 games, yeah. And they signed him to an eight-year, $111 million extension. He might already be underpaid. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, obviously, if he didn't sign the extension, he'd be even more underpaid. But, but like, the Diamondbacks got him at a very good uh a very very good uh deal this early into his career like i we've seen guys that signed extensions with teams you know very early sometimes before they even made their major league debut i don't think we've seen one that has that has worked out the way that this one looks to be working out right now with corbin carroll yeah yeah outside of yeah i mean um so far it's working maybe a little bit better than maybe even like ronald acuna's deal when after he's after what he signed uh, after his rookie year. Um, Cause yeah, Acuna had un- that. Unfortunate- but Acuna also had a rookie of the year under his belt. Like it made sense. Like Corbin Carroll had 32 MLB games. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, yeah. They, they, obviously- I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe Scott Kangaroo. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe him. Um, but yeah, like, but, yeah, there's, there might be an argument that he's underpaid because I know I know his free agent years, they were bought off at like, I don't know, 27, 28 million where, yeah, if he signed an extension like that now, maybe that's like 35 million. Who knows? I mean, he's playing like a guy worth that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we know we know how, you know, team control works. And obviously the first six years of your career, you're probably going to be underpaid. But um, but yeah, that's that's the circumstance he's in. But yeah, as far as uh, as far as his playoff performance, it is absolutely elite. As far as the Diamondbacks playoff performance goes, it is also just absolutely elite. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited to see what how this carries over into the NLCS because I mean they have a tough task with the Philadelphia Phillies, but they already passed a tough task with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean it's. I really hope that series is uh, is competitive, but we'll have to see. Yes, we will. Uh, we will indeed have to see. Um, anything more before we get into the last series? Uh, no. Let's talk about these. Uh, these Phillies and these Braves. So yeah, this was uh the longest series out of the NL playoffs so far. Um, it is uh yeah, it was, it was the Phillies and Braves. The Phillies. Uh, you know we we had an episode after they split the first two games. Phillies won game three, 10 to two, and then one game four, three to one. And, uh, and yeah, you know, had, had control for a large part of, uh, a large part of the series or in a large part of, uh, these last two games. And yeah, what were your thoughts on these last couple games? Yeah. I mean, the Phillies, you know, I mean, they still haven't, the only team that's beaten them at Citizens Bank Park, I believe is in the, like in the last two years in the playoffs is the Astros who are just, mm-hmm. 
the team that does the things that no one's supposed to do, like, you know, win the LDS as a, as a team with a bye. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the, the Braves are 0 for 4 now, like trying to win games at CBP, um, you know, between 2022 and 23. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the Phillies after game one, it really just looked like the Phillies were outright the better team. You know, I mean, they win the Ranger Suarez game, you know, they win a bullpen game, essentially, um, they shut out the Braves. Um, the Braves scored, you know, for how as good as that offense was all regular season, they scored eight runs in four games. Five of those were in one of the games. So in the games they lost, they scored a grand total of three runs. Right. Yeah. It's another thing where like you can't you can't look completely at starting pitcher starting pitching or what have you. It's it's about, you know, what your offense is doing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and as far as the Phillies offense. They were pretty unbelievable um, throughout the, you know, especially in game three, but also, you know, did enough in games one and four as well. Uh, Nick Castellanos, uh, I think it's, you know, well known now. He was the first player in playoff history with back-to-back multi-homer games, uh, did it in game three and game four, and was the difference maker in game four. I mean, they won that won that game by two runs, which, you know, they wouldn't have been able to do without the Castellanos home runs. And uh, Castellanos had a 1796 OPS in the series. Bryce Harper was close to was close to that with a 1765 OPS in that series. And Trey Turner uh, with a measly 1441 OPS in this series. He also was a 1455 OPS throughout the playoffs in these six games, uh, firing all firing on all cylinders. And uh, you know, going into game three. Uh, you know, obviously the the Phillies didn't need a crazy. It, it ultimately they didn't need a crazy starting pitching performance, but Aaron Nola did very well and also ate up some innings for them. He went five and two thirds innings, uh, two runs allowed, one walk, and nine strikeouts. Uh, he had a thirty three percent whiff rate, forty nine percent chase rate, and twenty one percent sweet spot rate. And it was the most swings at most swings out of the zone against a pitcher in a playoff game this year. And out of 403, uh, out of 403 playoff starts with 50 plus pitches thrown out of the zone in the pitch tracking era, Nola had the fourth highest chase rate in a game. So he was getting, he was getting the Braves to swing out of the zone a lot, uh, 49% of the time, which is a crazy amount. League average is around 28%, and he was at 49%. Uh, so he had a great game. And uh, as far as game four goes, you have some numbers on another starter who unfortunately uh, had some had. You know, not his ideal outing, not a disaster outing, but not his ideal outing. Yeah, I mean, Spencer Strider had, I mean, like when you look at it, you know, ultimately five and two thirds innings and three earned runs is like enough to keep your team in a game, certainly. But, um, you know, he had a lot of things that just weren't working for him, particularly his slider. Um, he gave up a home run in the second or in the uh, in the fifth inning to Trey Turner on the slider. Right. And then he also gave up an up to Castellanos that tied the game. Um, yeah. in the fourth inning. So he gave up two home runs against his slider. Um, he also gave up, uh, an extra base hit, but, um, another, another double to Trey Turner, but, um, you know, his, so going into his slider very specifically, 77.3% of his sliders were in game day zone five, which is right down the middle or outside the strike zone. And it's not even like a good outside the strike zone where it starts in and goes out and he gets a chase. They were just not competitive pitches. 
77.3% of all sliders were either down the middle, the most hittable, or not even worth swinging at at all. Um, and that is the fifth highest rate for that for him in any game this year. So the slider wasn't working for him. And because of that, he had to really depend on his fastball. Uh, he had 70.8% fastball usage, which was the highest for him in any game this year. So by the time it got late in the game, by the time it was like the fifth, seventh, fifth or seventh inning, every Phillies hitter was pretty much just sitting on the, the fastball every single time because they had to. Uh, prior to the Castellanos home run in the seventh that ultimately, or in the sixth inning that ultimately took him out of the game, uh, 18 of his last 20 pitches had been four seam fastballs. Uh, that's, yeah, that's 90%, right? I mean, so obviously you have, you have to be sitting fastball and he left one over the plate for Castellanos um, on the 96 pitch that he threw. It was still like a hundred miles an hour, which is crazy that he was throwing that hard the entire game. But, um, you know, ultimately his secondary pitch wasn't working. So we had to rely a little too much, I think on his, on his primary pitch. And ultimately, uh, you know, he paid the price for it with a third home run given up. Yeah. And, uh, and it seemed like pitch selection was affected by, you know, the sort of ineffectiveness his slider had or, or lack of effectiveness, the lack of effectiveness that it usually has. Um, and yeah, in that last Castellanos at bat where he gave up, you know, his third home run of the game or Strider's third home run of the game, um, he, I, tweeted about it I'll, I'll include an image of the uh of the game day zone or of the game day you know coverage of of where the pitches were but it was you know the the last home run he gave up was the third fastball in a row and pretty much the exact same spot to Nick Castellanos and you know I know that that pitch can be effective if you set up you know a, a slider down before that but when it's your third pitch in a row at the same exact location it seems like it's not going to be as effective as you want it to be. Um, and, you know, that it seemed like maybe he was kind of in a, in a force, he was sort of forced to do that depending on maybe he didn't have as much confidence in his slider as he usually does. Um, so he threw his, you know, three consecutive fastballs in the same exact location and got a bad result on it. And and then eventually was taken out of the game uh, pretty much right after it. So, yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't it wasn't his best, but he did not have uh, the support of his offense, unfortunately. Um, you know, throughout the series, the Braves had the worst expected WOBA among all the L LDS teams. Um, they had the lowest barrel rate among all the LDS teams. It's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wretched from a from a Braves perspective there. Yeah, I mean, it's been it was tough, but um. Spencer Strider gave up seven hits overall. Uh, four of them were against his slider, and he only threw 22 sliders compared to 68 four-seamers. So that's another way of saying his slider just wasn't very effective, and it forced him to rely, I think, a little too heavily on his fastball. Um, but ultimately, it's the Braves' offense. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, eight runs in four games, five and or three in the uh, three losses is inexcusable for a team that had a 125 weighted runs created plus throughout the season. Um, you know, Acuna... Uh, obviously, he had that seventh inning at bat where, you know, he put together a very good plate appearance against Craig Kimbrell, um, all, unfortunately flew out to deep center. Um, you know, Johan Rojas made a nice catch on him, but, um, you know, he had 143 during the series, which he ultimately can't do. Matt Olson hit 250 with a 544 OPS. Uh, really, the only Braves hitter that, like, showed up through and through was Austin Riley, who hit 353 with a 1059 OPS. He had two home runs during the series. Um, 
going back to this little controversy that I had, uh, if you look at the uh, like the the Statcast search radial chart on the Braves barrels, it shows the Acuna flyout. So it shows that it was a barrel, one of the four that they had all series. But if you look at uh, like the actual Statcast, like the the game log, like the the you know like the thing that you click on at the top of the page during the game. Uh, where it shows like every batted ball, but it doesn't have like a little green highlight around it, so maybe it wasn't a barrel. Well, yeah, that is quite the controversy. Yeah. Um, was it a barrel or not? We don't. We don't know. We'll no never. Really yeah, we'll we'll never know. Um, also, the Braves, along with having the lowest barrel rate, um, with a four percent barrel rate, which I think would probably be less than you know, definitely less than half of their regular season rate. They also had the second lowest sweet spot rate, so not putting it in the ideal uh, area of the launch angle spectrum. That means you know less less line drives and less fly balls, pretty much less less good quality line drives and fly balls is what that means. Is them not putting it in the sweet spot zone, and you know teams teams who uh, were able to do that had more success. The um, actually I'm on the barrel I'm on the barrel leaderboard, but as far as teams who had good sweet spot zones they were having more success i imagine the diamondbacks were doing that yeah the philly the phillies and diamondbacks led in sweet spot percentage in uh in this past lds round so um and the braves were second lowest so you know there's a correlation between that and offensive success and the braves didn't do that dodger didn't do that in their series and uh and yeah kind of disappointing but yeah i mean shout out to the phillies they are they seem to just be built for the postseason. I don't know what it I don't know what it is. Yeah, they're they're a different animal. I mean playoff CBP is obviously a crazy atmosphere. Um like it, you know, it's it's I mean it's loud. I mean if you like I don't know if you saw the videos of like the Bryce Harper home run in game three or one of the Bryce Harper home runs in game three, like without the commentary and just the crowd. Like it's it's among the loudest in any sport. Yeah, and it seems like like once you once you start trailing the Phillies at CBP in the playoffs, it seems like it's over. And and that's why I looked into, you know, the game logs of of their of their games at CBP during the playoffs and the Phillies have now taken 12 leads uh at Citizens Bank Park in the playoffs in the last 2 years, 12 leads. And the team has come back to tie twice. And they've come back to take the lead once, and they've kept that lead zero times. So that once, so once the Phillies have gotten a lead, the past you know 10, 10 playoff games at CBP, they have won that game. You know, any any game they have a lead, they win the game. Um, the Astros, when they won those two games against them last year uh, at C- Citizens Bank Park, uh, the Astros, they uh, they had a lead and they kept it, and they didn't. You know they didn't let the Phillies get a lead at all in those games, and that's probably a large part of the reason why they won. Um, so yeah, it, it puts a lot of pressure on starting pitching, um, for sure. But but yeah, it seems like that crowd, like once they have that lead, you know you need you need to silence them early, and if you don't silence them early, it's going to be a really tough day for you. Yeah, no, it's I mean it is just a different place to play pretty clearly as we've seen throughout these playoffs. I mean. The fact that, you know, the Braves in, in two different 100-win seasons went over for 2 there uh, says a lot. The Padres, you know, who had just dismantled the 110-win Dodgers, couldn't win a game there. Only team that's done so is the Houston Astros, naturally, who did it twice. 
yeah naturally naturally and uh yeah it would be funny like um with all this parody and and lack of expectation or lack of things going as expected in this playoffs if we just got another astros phillies world series it seems um, like that might be where we're headed it seems yeah it seems like we could be going there um fate fate meets itself once again um but before we get into uh previews there you know there was some some controversy uh non-baseball savant related in this series yeah yeah so i i figured we should talk about rca gate um after game two when michael harris made that great catch they doubled off bryce harper to end the game uh you know the braves were celebrating in the clubhouse and orlando rca said like aha attaboy harper or something like that right that's what it was and um it ended up getting reported because there were a lot of national media in that clubhouse at the time jake mince who is one of the uh Cespedes family barbecue guys I've been following them for a while I think they do great work but that's uh, ultimately who reported it and um there's been a lot of talk about this and by the way like I've my first initial take on this is like if the Braves genuinely believe that like the backlash that came from that affected their play in games three and four that's super lame like that you gotta that's that's a lame excuse and if that actually affects you then like you're not a good team. I don't care how many games you want. Like you can't let that get to you. That's insane. Um, I don't know. I just really don't like that. That became such a huge deal. Like I, like I don't blame the Phillies for using it as, as motivation if, if they did, because, you know, it's just a little playoff banter. Um, you know, like I'm sure like I'd be, I'd be very surprised if this was the first time that, uh, someone trash talk the other team in a clubhouse with reporters present. And I bet there have been plenty of times where that happened and it never went reported. You know, it's not like he was throwing like personal insults out at Bryce Harper or like his family or anything like in that case, then yeah, I think it absolutely needs to be reported. Um, But I don't know. I think it's very weird that this ended up being such a big story. Yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, I think there is something to the fact that, teams like bullet you know there's a thing called bulletin board material and mm-hmm. i think teams enjoy that you know uh, depending on the player that you know they might want to go up to the plate with that type of energy going for them i know like uh specifically with like football and basketball players like brady and michael jordan tom brady and michael jordan loved to use things you know going against them or use some some type of fuel to push them over the edge uh competitively um, and you know, if that translates and that, that may in fact just translate in baseball too. Um, and you know, Bryce Harper hit two home runs, but I know, I know that first one was a, I mean, anyone was hitting a home run off of, off of that pitch. It was a, yep. it was the most hanging of hanging changeups in the world. Um, and then the second one, you know, very good piece of hitting. I think it was a breaking ball, uh, at, on the edge of the strike zone, but you know, Bryce Harper is a very good hitter. He, he hits those types of pitches, but ultimately, yeah. It was kind of weird. It was, it was a, uh, it was, you know, it was a big, big, uh, big topic of conversation in the journalism world because, you know, people were talking about it. There was a little bit of gatekeeping from the everyday Braves reporters or just general everyday reporters. I know uh, Alana Rizzo had a big rant um, on Christopher Russo's show. Um, That that rant sucked. I will say that. It was, you know, that rant really sucked. It was, it was it was something it was it was something for sure um and you know i i kind of see i see a little bit of both sides i think if i were there i don't think i'd want to 
if I were there in that situation, I don't think I'd want to report it. I don't. I think the risk would outweigh the reward a little bit. But granted, if you're Orlando Arcia, you know that media members are there. You know you ha have time when media members aren't there. And you also know that there are areas of the clubhouse where media members are not, you know, uh, are not given permission to go. And you can say whatever you want unreported over there. So yeah. I, I do see both sides of it, but I don't think anyone can really be too mad at the situation. I think the thing that actually sucks was after game three, when they asked RC about it, he said like, no, he wasn't supposed to hear that. That's why I said in the clubhouse, which I also think is super lame. Like if you're going to say that, like you're going to like, you either got to double down on it or you got to just like deny it or whatever. Like, I think that was the worst possible response you could have had. Cause like, I don't know. It's weird to admit like, yes, I'm trash talking a guy behind his back because I don't want to do it to his face. Right. Like, I think that's just a weird thing to do. And like, you know, Bryce Harper stared him down after both home runs. So like, obviously it meant something to him. Like he used it for some kind of competitive edge and clearly it worked. Like, you know, if it, if it works, I'm not going to tell you not to do it because you know, whatever works works. But yeah, I mean, if you're going to say that, like you got, I think you got to stick with it. You can't just abandon it because you know, it worked against you. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think as far as I know, like, reporters there's a certain you know grace period between guys getting into the clubhouse and media members being allowed in the clubhouse and yeah. you know you can do you you can do your trash talking during that time or after you know who who knows but um but yeah i mean you know to to report it it seemed more gossipy than than reporting i, I will be honest about that um even having you know a little bit of the whatever whatever journalism perspective I have but you know it it was it was a thing said during the reporting period or during the yeah. media media period so you can't you can't be too mad at it yeah I mean I like Jake Mintz and I like the work that he uh and Jordan do over at Cespedes Barbecue like I've been following them for a while I'm sure you probably have as well Chris but like you know they do good work and he also wrote a really good story before the series about like a kind of inside Acuna's season talking about how he almost didn't play in the world baseball classic, but then Miguel Cabrera convinced him to, and like, he's done some really good work and like, he's a guy that deserves to be in those clubhouses, like no doubt about it. Um, could the story have gone unreported? Probably. I don't even think it's a story. I think it's just, you know, it's just, you know, guy banters of the other team during, during a moment of like competitiveness. Right. Cause I mean, if you're the Braves, right. You know, going into this series, you had much more to lose than you had to win because, you know, you were a 104 win team. You had the best offense in baseball and you also lost in the first round of these Phillies last year. And anything less than at least going to the World Series would be a massive disappointment. And even not winning it would have been a disappointment as well. And, you know, like after you lose game one in just a really quiet, boring, depressing way like you did. Like you need someone to to pick the boys back up in the clubhouse, and game two was everything they could have asked for, right? Like they, it was a big, it was a hard fought win, come from behind win, exclamation point ending. So like I get, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with like being fired up after the game, and I don't even think there's anything wrong with what RC has said. Um, but you know, and like you know, like I said, like when you're in that situation, when there's a, that much pressure on you to win this series, and there's more to lose than there is to win, like. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to say you shouldn't say this because reporters are there and whatever. Um, 
but you know there is that grace period before reporters are actually allowed into the clubhouse and you know there's moments when like you're on the field celebrating you're you know doing the handshakes or whatever you're in the dugout going to the clubhouse um it could have been you know if 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 that was something he needed to get out he could have done it when reporters weren't there right yeah yeah and i think it's a thing where both you know both things can be true you could you know be justified in saying it and you know it wasn't wasn't anything crazy that he said it's just a little bit of a little bit of banter but like i don't even think i don't even think bryce harper like faults him for saying that no 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 i could see bryce harper doing the same thing you know in that in in the braves direction so you know i i totally understand him saying that getting the getting the guys fired up but i also um you you also can't get mad at the reporter who's reporting on you on you saying that when you're in the media area and you're in your you know, saying and you're saying that. So I think both things can be true there. Yeah. I mean, um, Orlando Arcia has played for the play in the playoffs numerous times. He's been there for the Braves. He was there for the Brewers. He went to the NLCS with the Brewers. Like this is not his first rodeo. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not at all. You know, like if if they had like, I don't know, someone like Pierce Johnson saying that, then like maybe it's a little different there. Yeah, or like, I don't know, Vaughn Grissom or Von, yeah, Von Grissom would have been a better option, actually. Yeah, right. But I, I mean, what is what is Pierce John? Yeah, did, or he played for the Padres. He did. He played for the I, Padres last I, year. Yeah, right. So that is it for the media controversy. But just a just one last thing to get into about the series. I think a lot of people are talking about the long layoff, um, for the uh for the one one and two seeds. You know, the one and two seeds went one and three in in these series in these LDSs they went two and two last year with you know one of those one of those teams going to five games um or one of the winners going to five games and you know it, it, it's an interesting topic of conversation because of how how these teams have been performing in these series in the two years that they've that they've had them um and I think the there's a couple of counters to that. You know, obviously, I think the biggest example is the Astros. They've been six and one in these series, um, you know, which is something to say. I mean, they their postseason success. It doesn't matter when they play. It's just it just seems like they're going to have that. Um, and then as far as uh, as far as the layoff for other teams like the Braves had five days off when they won the World Series in 2021. They had four days off. You know, it's 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 an extra 24 hours. And I guess the counteract you know the, the, the counter argument to that is the fact that the brewers when the braves faced them in the 2021 nlds they also had a four day four day layoff but in this you know in this period of time where there were longer layoffs the 2018 red sox 2016 cubs and 2013 red sox all had four day layoffs and faced teams that had previously played in the wild card round and also the uh, the yeah, 2015 royals as well um the 2015 Royals had a had its faced a team with a they had a yeah, the Astros. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the 2015 Royals as well, and the 2013 Red Sox they also faced the Rays, who had played two games before two play you know two, yeah two games during a one sixty three and a layout. wild card game. Yeah. 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 A game one sixty three and a wild card game. So, you know, I think I think we're just reacting based on these two years. I don't think this is. Ma- necessarily a sign of things to come i think it just happened this way and the phillies are a juggernaut so it's not uh, a discredit to to them that you know 
the fact that the Braves lost to them is not shocking to really anybody, especially this year. No, I mean, I think we knew going in that that was going to be the best series and the Phillies had a very good chance despite being 14 games behind them in the in the division standings this year. Um, you know, maybe you could point to it a little more with the Dodgers and Diamondbacks, especially with, uh, you know, the Diamondbacks sweeping that series and just looking like an outright so much better team despite having, I think, 16 less wins. Um, but, you know, I mean, we knew the Dodgers rotation was going to be a big question mark. We knew that, um, you know, like, the Diamondbacks were coming off a, a series against the Brewers where they had multiple come from behind victories and that they've been very streaky all year. Um, and that they also played the Dodgers very well this year uh, as a whole. So, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately like in the whole, like we should change the playoff format to better cater to the, to the 100 win teams uh, argument. Like I think it's only been two years and we should probably pump the brakes a little bit. I think this, it's very reactionary because the Braves and Dodgers lost twice in a row because the Orioles lost this year, uh, you know, with a, a team that ultimately didn't have a very good rotation coming in, right? Like, yeah, you know, I know they did get swept, but they're also a team with very limited playoff experience. It's something that matters. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's. I think if there's any valid criticism of this playoff format is that the wild card round the wild card series just hasn't given us many exciting moments right yeah also to counter that we've had you know every year that this playoff format has has existed a six seed who you know otherwise would not have made it to the playoffs at all have reached the championship series and they could we could have two years in a row with a team reaching the world series uh that ultimately wouldn't have made the playoffs in in various other years yeah, exactly, exactly. And as and as far as the Dodgers go also, um in 2017, the you know, the last time they faced the Diamondbacks in a playoff series, they had a 4-day layoff uh between mm-hmm. between regular season and postseason and the Dodgers swept the Diamondbacks uh after that. So, you know, I don't think the extra 24 hours made it so made it made the difference between a Dodgers sweep and a Diamondbacks sweep. I just think that's just how the cards fell in this uh in this past series. Yeah, um yeah, and and you know these six seeds are very exciting. You know, gives an opportunity a little bit. You know, with at least with the Diamondbacks, like uh, an an early arriving team, a team that you know maybe a smaller market, but had you know com- had had some competitive ed- edge to them. They can come in and and they can uh, and they can you know rock the playoffs a little bit, which is you know exciting to a degree. You know, we've seen the Dodgers win a World Series in the. In the past few years, we've seen the Braves win one in the past few years. There's yeah. there's something exciting about these newer teams coming in and 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 uh, dominating the postseason. I was going to say, like, I cool. understand, I understand being a fan of one of these teams that gets bounced early and being frustrated, but like, parody is good in these sports. Like, it's good to go into the playoffs not knowing what's going to happen. Like, the last time an eight seed beat a one seed in the NBA was in 2010. Like. Like, it's fun that there's no safe bet in baseball as playoffs right now. You know, like, people talk about the Stanley Cup playoffs as, like, the best playoffs in sports because it's the most unpredictable. Baseball is kind of catching up, right? Yeah. Like, the Diamondbacks sweeping was something nobody could have realistically said, you know, last week. And they not only did they sweep, but they dominated all three games. Exactly, yeah. And th- these playoffs won't take six months to get through like the nhl playoffs yeah Um, but yeah no they're cool they're cool over there um yeah yeah uh 
that's that's pretty much all I got on it. Um, anything more before we preview these series? No, let's talk about it. Um, so yeah, we have the Astros and Rangers, the All Texas ALCS. Uh, fun fun thing, you know. I think these are two of the more exciting teams in the uh in the league in the uh junior circuit, I believe as they call it. Uh, as as the as the people call it. Um, the Astros the American were- League. Yeah, I think so. The junior circuit, because the NL, I, I mean, the NL is the senior circuit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is Ben Johnson gonna like hearing that? Um, I mean, if if Ben Johnson or or any of his uh any of his uh relatives have anything to say, uh, comment in our in our <laughs> comment section. Um, yeah, all grievances go to the above replacement radio comment section on YouTube. Yeah. But uh, as far as the season series, the Astros dominated, went nine and four against the Rangers and outscored the Rangers 93 to 74. Uh, you know, there were some really good offensive performances by the Astros against the Rangers this year. Chas McCormick had a 1438 OPS against the Rangers and 38 plate appearances. Altuve had a 1228 OPS and 38 plate appearances. Kyle Tucker had a 1221 OPS in 56 plate appearances and Jordan Alvarez had a 1201 OPS in 34 plate appearances and against the Astros Marcus Simeon did very well with a 1214 OPS in 59 plate appearances uh, against Houston so you know teams have a lot of familiarity against each other they've been in the same division for the last uh, 12 years now or yeah 12 or uh, 11 years now since 2013 right um what are you thinking about this one yeah, I mean, it, obviously the all Texas Texas aspect of this is very fun. The uh, Jordan Alvarez Corey Seager matchup is going to be very fun because those are the best two hitters. I mean, now the Betts and Acuna and Freeman and Olson are out. We can say that these are the best two hitters still in the playoffs, like comfortably. Uh, maybe Corbin Carroll at, at at number three there, but I mean, Corey Seager has been excellent for the Rangers all playoffs. He's had a lot of extra base hits, a lot of home runs. Jordan Alvarez, I mean, come on. <laughs> Like he's, I think he, uh, I think he singled in game four and his OPS for the series went down. Yeah. Right. 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 I'm pretty no, sure so that happened just to, um, Oh, trade. Tur- uh, are you talking about, or no, not trade Turner, but who Corey Jordan uh, Alvarez. Jordan. Oh yeah. 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 I'm yeah. pretty sure he had a single in game four and his OPS for the series dropped. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's insane. Yeah, because he I think he entered game four at a 22 OP 2205. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um just like that's awesome. And uh just so people don't just so the Harper stands don't get mad. Harper is also in the running for uh, best postseason bat. Yeah. Um he's he's also been quite amazing. Um yeah, I mean, the Jordan Alvarez is just He's ridiculous. Yeah, he had a seventeen eighty, despite only going one. Yeah, despite only going one for four in game four, he he had a seventeen eighty four OPS, uh, in that round. Yeah, right after right after the Revolutionary War. Um, yep, it's a it's a quality year there. But yeah, that yeah, was like OPS. anytime anytime your OPS is a year that like someone can tell you something that happened in, like you know don't get me wrong you know nine thirty eight is a good OPS but what happened in the year nine thirty eight, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it was that might have been the Renaissance period. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know history that well, unfortunately. Um, I know baseball history a little bit, but baseball history started in 18, 1845, yeah, according to some people. 
Um, yeah, National League started in 1871, 1876-ish. Uh, but, but yeah, as far as the series go, I'm really excited about it. Um, I think just the Astros, you know, I think we could agree still, despite this, despite their good series against the Twins, they're not the same Astros that they were last year. Mm-hmm. Still means they could win the World Series. I mean, this this Astros team is fully capable of it, but I think it creates a less of a mismatch as it would have last year. I think the starting pitching matchups are going to be pretty fun, uh, especially yeah. at the top with, uh, you know, probably, it's probably going to be Verlander versus Montgomery and then Eovaldi versus Valdez. I think that's going to be fun. Um, and as far as the season series goes, I'm not really worried about it because that does not seem to translate to postseason. No. Look at the Dodgers and Diamondbacks. Look at the look at the Braves and Phillies. That did not translate really at all. Yeah, no. Zach Gallen, who had a nine ninety op or uh, ERA against the Dodgers this year, came out and shoved. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, by the way, like going back to my take on Jordan and Corey Seager being the best hitters left in the playoffs. That my logic is a combination of regular season and postseason uh, hitting. And like Corey Seager was like Bryce Harper has been a better hitter in the playoffs than Corey Seager objectively. Like that's a fair take. Yeah, but Corey Seager was like, if not for Shohei Otani, would have been the MVP in the American League this year. And Jordan is otherworldly as a hitter. Absolutely, yeah. Like I think, I think Jordan might be the best. And I know that a lot of people aren't going to like me using this term, but I'm I'm going to use the P word. I'm I think Jordan Alvarez might be the best pure hitter in baseball. Oh wait, <laughs> what are we? Yeah, what are we? I mean, yeah. well, surprise! He went out there and he had three fifty, whatever, whatever he did. Yeah, he had three fifty four. Yeah, no, I mean Jordan is a ridiculously good hitter. Um, I know he only hit two ninety three this year. Uh, he had a down year with a nine ninety OPS and four hundred. He, by the way, he was like I know Jordan missed some time. He was at uh, five plate appearances away from qualifying for the batting title, That's, and he had yeah. a year one thousand OPS. And he had he had the quietest in year one thousand OPS ever. Yeah. <laughs> Like he's still he's still that guy. Yeah, he's pretty amazing. He's pretty amazing out there. Um, you know, didn't reach the qualifying threshold, but still matched thirty homers. Um, you know, got on base over over forty yeah. percent of the time, slugged almost six hundred. Uh yeah, he's he's uh he's he's that guy. He is absolutely that guy. And the Rangers are gonna have to game plan for him. He had a you know, twelve oh one OPS against the Rangers this year, so you know. It's gonna have to be some uh some game planning there. Yeah, uh this is exciting. I'm but you know, it I think my mindset just going into it automatically assumes the Astros are gonna win here. Even even with the Rangers doing as well as they are, it just seems like the Astros are just that winning machine. What what are your, you know, what's your mindset heading into this one? I'll I'll explain my prediction logic a little later. I'm, I am going to pull up some more numbers on Jordan Alvarez. So according to StatHat, as I'm doing this search right now, and I'm stalling my words because it isn't loading, uh, he is one of uh, 28 hitters in baseball history between the major leagues, the Negro leagues, between everything, to have a 950 OPS with at least 2,000 plate appearances. And his 978 OPS ranks between Aaron Judge and Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I was I was about to look up Judge's career OPS, and yeah, it's right around where nine eighty two. We're done as where you're done is at. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, for me, this is a this is a hard one to predict. I I didn't prepare 
predictions. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of going on the fly. Um, yeah. And what I predict might not be what I end up rooting for. So I think, you know, it's you, you kind of want to root for the Rangers in this situation. I mean, the Astros have won. They've won two in the last, you know, six years. They won one last year. Like, you know, they've they've had their they've had their shot. Rangers have had some heartbreak. Um, and it would be it would be fun to see them win one. But yeah, I think my predictions might go against that. Uh, do you have a particular prediction for this one? I do. I'm gonna use the same logic uh, that I did for last series, which was I can absolutely see the Rangers winning this series. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, think it's too outlandish to go Rangers in seven. But I saw a video, Chris. I saw a video on the internet of Rangers fans doing the "We Want Houston" chant. Uh, so I'm gonna have to say Astros in six. I it you can't do it. Like you don't. Event like one day they're gonna learn, but that is not today. You can't, you can't do it. You, you can't do it. It doesn't work. Yeah, no. It, 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 like uh... I said this on Twitter this week, but you could show me a video of like Nationals fans doing it in 2019 or Braves fans doing it in 2021, and I would say it's fake because no one does that chance and has it work. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And is it is it stupid logic to go on? Maybe, but I used it last round, and I was clearly right. And that's definitely the reason why the Astros won, not because they were just a better team than the Twins at all. Yeah, no, definitely not, definitely not. Um, yeah, as far as as far as this series for me, I'm definitely leaving the Astros. It just depends on uh, how many games they get. Um, and you know, I with the Rangers. You know, I won't be surprised. I, I, I'm going to fail to be surprised by what they do. They really surprised me against the Rays by sweeping them. Um, you know, I believed in them for the Baltimore series, and they they came through on that by less games than I predicted for them. Um, but I'm going to stick with the Astros here. It's 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 the postseason winning machine, and I say the Astros. I say the Rangers are going to be decently competitive, and the Astros are going to take it in six as well. I'm going to match your prediction there. Um, by taking the Astros in six. Uh, anything more before we get into Philly's Diamondbacks? Um, I mean, yeah, it's going to be fun. I think I'll throw in a bonus prediction. I think the Rangers win games two and four. Solid, yeah. The Evaldi, Evaldi Valdez matchup, and then whatever teams throw whatever, out. Whatever, whatever they throw out in game four. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Probably what Urquidy versus maybe like Andrew Heaney or something. Yeah, or I wonder what the Rangers' fourth option. Dane Dunning, maybe? I don't know. Dane Dunning. I feel like they might go Dunning over uh, Heaney in game three. Or it could be a situation where they, they throw out um, Montgomery again on short rest. Who knows? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, we will see. We will uh, be happy to see. With Phillies Diamondbacks, the Phillies won the season series 4-3, to three, and they outscored the Diamondbacks 44-34. to 34. Um, what are your thoughts heading into this one? Uh, I mean, there's a very fun hidden narrative here, which is that uh, Evan Longoria will be getting his long-awaited revenge or seeking his long-awaited revenge on the Phillies from 2008. Um, it is extremely fun that he's facing the Phillies in the playoffs for the second time, with the first time being 15 years ago. Um, I think, I mean, I don't know. This this one is definitely, it feels like a lot more unpredictable because the Phillies just have looked like, you know, they dismantled the Marlins, they dismantled the Braves. The Diamondbacks did the same to the Brewers and Dodgers. Um, I think the Phillies just feel like the better team on paper, but the Diamondbacks, 
I thought I looked like a worse team on paper than the Brewers and a much worse team on paper than the Dodgers. So I don't know. Um, I'm going to go stuff of vibes and I'm going to go Philly in seven. Philly in seven. I'd appreciate that. I'd appreciate a winner take all game. Um, You know, we have not seen, especially a winner take all game in Philadelphia. Jeez Louise. This is uh this is the first time I'm predicting the Diamondbacks to win a game. By the way, I had Brewers in two, and then I had Dodgers in three, <laughs> and they haven't lost a single game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's true. Maybe, so, maybe for their own sake, I should say Philly in four, but I, I, I do think they win games this series. Well, if you predict Phillies in seven, just based on the law of opposites, the Diamondbacks they, they will be Phillies in four. Yeah, or or Diamondbacks in seven. Because oh, then yeah. you'd, you'd expect the Phillies to win each game that the Diamondbacks win. In the Is Diamondbacks. There, are the Diamondbacks capable of winning a game seven in Philadelphia? Um, I mean, I've I've been shocked they're by them. Capable twice. of it, yes, because if they're capable of sweeping the Dodgers, they're capable of anything. But like that, that's just so tough. Yeah, I mean, um, with all that being said, I am taking Phillies in five. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like they over, you know, I said this last, I said this last time for the, I said this for the last two series with the, with the Diamondbacks in them, but I feel like the Phillies overmatched them. Um, And I feel like that Arizona bullpen is due to crack. Like Mm -hmm. I feel like they're just doing too well right now. And, you know, I feel like just based on law of averages, they might crack and it's going to be against this Phillies offense. This Phillies offense is riding pretty hot. Uh, doing pretty well, uh, whether it be against the Marlins or against the Braves. So, yeah, I'm going to take Phillies in five, but I'm rooting for that game seven. I'd, l- I'd like to see a winner-take-all game because we haven't seen one since the freaking uh, uh, Joe Musgrove pine tar in the year game. Is that even that, – that doesn't count as a game seven. What was, I think the last game seven was 2020 NLCS. Um, yeah, the last game seven, but as far as winner-take-all games – yeah. Um, it's been a really long time. And yeah, our, uh, shout out to the 2020 playoffs. They were like an amazing playoffs. It just didn't feel that way because there was no problem. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had two winner take alls in the wild card round. We had uh, how many in the division series? There was the Yankees Rays one. There was the, uh, the Astros yeah. one. Wasn't. I think, yeah, I think that was it. And then, that was uh, it. Yeah. And then two game sevens in the LCS and, uh, yeah, and a pretty right. good World Series. That's right. There were two game sevens in the LCS, and then yeah, yeah. No, I mean, if if those playoffs had, you know, non-neutral sites, that would have been fire, and oh, fans. Yeah. Oh yeah, like the the Astros coming back would have two of those games would have been at Minute Maid, um, yeah. and uh, you know that. Yeah, that Carlos Correa hit a walk off home run, <laughs> like <laughs> like, and it happened in San Diego with zero fans. That um, that. Brett Phillips big play. Yeah, like that would have been in Tampa. It would have been at the trop. Um and uh and the Mike Brasso uh homer against the Rolls Chapman would have been one, this one's also a bit grim, but like you know, Oakland Oakland won a game three at home. If there was fans, there could have been an easy case for you know keeping the team in Oakland. They won a game. I believe the game they won against the Astros was at home technically. Or was um, it game three on the road? I think it might have been game three on the road. Damn. Okay. Well, we still would have seen those crowds. Yeah, we still. Twenty nineteen. In twenty nineteen, yeah. they sold out for the wild card game against the Rays. Yeah, and they and they yeah, as you mentioned, they beat 
the White Sox in, in a winner take all. Came back yeah. against the White Sox in that series. Yeah, they came back. So yeah. Um which so, yeah. obviously in the normal in a normal year they probably wouldn't have played that series because they wouldn't have changed the playoff format. That's true. That is true. Um and yeah, the Astros wouldn't have made the playoffs and beat them. Um but uh but yeah, that does it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. We hope you enjoyed this one. Um, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and want to watch the conversation as it happens, go to the YouTube channel. It is called Above Replacement Radio and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Check out all the features, uh, the digital shorts, the um, the playlists are, you know, all of our guest interviews are in a playlist. The baseball history series is in a playlist. Go check all that out. It is Above Replacement Radio on YouTube and follow the follow us on social media. Follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran and follow the show Instagram at Above Replacement Radio for all the show needs. We hope you enjoyed this one and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking all the happenings of the league championship series uh, in, uh, in, in the next episode. See you then. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over. <laughs>